Hello and welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. What's going on? It's your girls. How's everybody feeling? How are you? Let's take a little breath. <sighs> oh. <laughs> welcome back. I'm like, whoa, I haven't dig- taken a deep yes. breath today. That's for damn sure. Same. Running around. The breaths do not happen much. I'm excited yeah. about this one meditation. Something. Me too that we definitely do in the morning and have for quite some time. And it's going to be a really beautiful conversation. But I had a crazy dream the other night. What was two, two nights ago. Dude, the dreams have been dreams. Wow. And actually, you guys, we just did an episode with Dr. Tara Swart, which is coming out. She was talking about how there's actual science behind March 2020 and March 2021 mm-hmm. have been a marked uh, month for really crazy dreams in the collective. So there's actually like science behind it. That's as far as I know. And like anxiety. Yes. And the anxiety produces really powerful dreams. So Mm -hmm. there is something to the fact that we've all been dreaming. And I think a lot of us have been talking about sleep paralysis. Yes. Having sleep paralysis. I didn't know what it was years ago. I used to have it actually a lot and it always scared me, but I didn't know what to do. I was like, okay, this is happening Mm -hmm. again. I don't really know what this is. But to your point of what we were talking about earlier, it's kind of the fact that we know what it is now, mm-hmm. there is kind of this peace around when it happens. Yes. It's like, okay, I think some healing's happening. <laughs> I always think the soul has like, I always think mm-hmm. the soul leaves the body when we sleep. And for some reason, something happened in this reality that caused the soul to come back to the body too quickly. Mm-hmm. And so our soul and our body are trying to like come back to one another and our body and this reality, our ego is trying to make sense of the soul leaving in a way that makes sense to us. So we usually get scared. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, I'm doing this or something's happening. But I think it's actually really beautiful when we think about it. And it's almost something I'm really working to turn on its head so that I can be more of the soul having the experience rather than the body having the experience. Mm-hmm. So that I'm like the soul that's like, oh, I'm coming back. I'm laying back in this body. Yes. I'm back here. I think we can really do, do cool things with it. Definitely. I actually had the the paralysis in like my ayahuasca ceremony. And it's the same feeling where it's like, I'm outside of my body, but I'm also inside of my body and I can't move and I can't, but I have an awareness of every single thing around me. Yes. That would scare me in that ceremony. Yeah, it was scary. That would scare me. Well, I thought I was paralyzed. For sure. Yes, 100%. Like, this is it. I was like, okay, I guess. This is my new life. This is what ayahuasca did for me. (laughs) Dude. Oh my gosh. Um, What what was your dream? So my dream, I've been calling in more alien dreams. Mm -hmm. So- We talk about aliens here on the pod at almost 30. And I've been trying to connect more. And in this dream, the aliens were showing me uh, these symbols in the sky. Mm -hmm. So the symbols basically were this like sacred geometry. And then they were like, this is representative of the bee. And there was Mm -hmm. like a bee. And they're like, this is the bee. The bee lives in a great symbiosis with the, the world. The bee is a servant to nature. Nature serves the bee. And they have a beautiful relationship that is like, equal. And then they were like, then they were showing the bee and the, and the nature's kind of relationship to one another. And they're like, you must take care of the bees. Mm. So like, you must take care of the bees. And then they were like, you as humans are not in that sort of relationship with nature. No shit. And no, no shit. <laughs> and I just was like, wow, that's so, it was so beautiful and mm. so sad at the same time where I was like, oh, we're, we're really like parasites of the earth. Mm-hmm. You know, in a, in a yeah. way, you know, we are in relation to raising the consciousness along with Mother Nature, Mother Nature leading the way with raising the consciousness for us. And we're sort of on the receiving end of that. But I just was like, oh, that's so beautiful and so true. Yeah. And think about that example, just like a little tiny bee 
Yes. You know what I mean? That represents the micro of the macro and just how... Yeah, that's really And always in my dreams, I'm trying to take pictures on my phone to tell people. So I have my like ego side comes out in my dreams too because it's like, I want to capture this. Yes. And it was trying- like selfie with me? It was. It was trying to (laughs) capture it and I had the video of it, but the video was like very crazy. It was in someone's backyard. The video was wild, but it was, I kept showing people the video. I'm like, this is undeniable. In my dream, I'm like, this is undeniable. Do you guys understand how undeniable this is? It is undeniable. But it was, oh, yeah, it was powerful. It was beautiful. Cool. It was beautiful. That's really cool. I had another dream actually a few weeks ago. I've been meaning to tell you that in our dream, your higher self said, I need Fridays off. Huh. Isn't that amazing? I mean, she's right. I know, honestly. I was thinking about that. It was like, oh. Did your higher self agree? No, my higher self just kind of was like, okay. But I don't even know what my higher self was like. But your higher self very clearly said, I need Fridays off. Uh, I, I feel like during this season, I'm like, whoa, we are working like, wow. I know, wow. But it was true. Vacation. It was weeks ago. And I was like, oh, I wonder if we could integrate that mm. to to life. Because I was like, okay, respect. <laughs> I literally was like, all right, respect. My higher self's like, I think I need to live on an island. <laughs> yeah, literally. Your higher self's like, I need to raise, bitch. <laughs> oh, God. But it was a beautiful, yeah, it was just like a beautiful oh, thing cool. where I was like, okay. She's traveling. Yeah, she's traveling. She's telling me what the frick's up. Yeah, I had a, a dream and you guys will hear about it in our episode uh, with Ray, Black Soul Theory. But I had a dream where I was, I was visited by a black Jaguar and like it had the spots on it and it was black. It wasn't just a nothing a cooler than a Jaguar. Oh my God. I nothing was cooler. just in awe. But I was the human part of me was so scared in the moment. It was like, and so I froze. And in my dreams, often I am, if I am in a situation where I should be afraid, I I wield that power of being as calm and peaceful as possible to see what will happen and see how I can change the experience. And so it was approaching me and I was scared, but then I was just, I imagined my body like melting as if to just kind of like blend in with everything else. And I was like, okay, just be calm and breathe. She came up to me and just like really nuzzled me Mm. and it was really sweet. And I was like, oh, she she loves me and like she's here for me. And then in my um, healing, shamanic healing with Ray, she's like, so there's this black jaguar and she's kind of walking up from your feet, et cetera, et cetera. And she's just kind of this like guide and usher through really big changes and transitions. She represents confidence and power and grace and uh, working with your shadow. So all of those things are very true, but I... I really love working with like spirit animals. Mm-hmm. Just I've worked with them in therapy. And so it's always been so powerful when they show up, whether it's in a dream or just in, on TV or, you know, if I'm scrolling Instagram and I see like a wolf, because a wolf is my like, mm. this big, huge, tall white wolf is like my spirit animal for mm. um, support and guidance through therapy. And um, yeah, it's just really, it's really, really sweet. So yeah, I've been having a lot of those. And then I've been having busy ass motherfucking dreams. Mm-hmm. Just busy, mm-hmm. busy, 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 busy. And I feel like I'm not getting rest, but I am. Sometimes it's like people that are busy. There's this one person that like we both know and they kept coming in my dreams and just being like, just there and like oh, talking yes. and like- That scares me. Just getting, <laughs> just getting my attention. And I'm like, I don't, I have nothing to say, you know uh-huh. what I mean? But it kept showing up in the dream. So I've been writing down my dreams a little bit more. I hadn't been good about that before, but 
the other day, I go into Babyface Day of Has Bulletproof Cafe in Santa Monica. Went in and I always see this guy, Jordan, who's just so kind. He's super quiet, but just, I just like him. I'm like, I like you. And he's just always making my um, my order before I even walk in. It's very Love sweet. That. So I asked him how he was and he's like, half of me is here, half of me is not. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, what, is that? what does that mean? And he's like, well, and he started talking about his dreaming. I mean, he is actual traveling every single night. He is working in his dreams, working on healing, lucid dreaming. And we just got to talking and he's like, yeah, it's actually really, really, really challenging. And we talked about this briefly before. He's like, it's really challenging to be here Mm -hmm. doing that, like doing that at night, doing that work at night, being kind of in those other realities and dimensions. And then to be here, it's like, it's, it's weird. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's Mm -hmm. like, I'm not really here. And I was, and that was the first time he's really like, Opened up. Been animated and opened up. It was really, really sweet. But yeah, I hope the conversation around dreams keeps happening. I'm glad we have them here on the pod and people like Charlie Morley and Dr. Tara and Ray. It's just, I think it's a key. Mm -hmm. A key. I was reading something about dreaming recently and it was saying that we do not sleep because the the body needs rest. We sleep because the soul needs rest. Mm. I thought that was really beautiful. I was like, oh, that's very interesting to think about. You know, the concept of our soul needing rest. It was like, almost in this reality, it can be really exhausting for the soul. Mm. That's why it leaves all the time. That's why it's sort of here and then not. And so being in the experience of the dream is like more freeing and liberating for the soul. Yeah. But wow. yeah, yeah, I could imagine being in the, we gotta be careful with that. Not being in reality. I know. I bet totally I know. understand. Because I, yeah, I think, I don't know him at all, but I can just tell that it's like hard. For sure. If and you're like, so um, I'm like, gonna fucking fly. Yeah, it's it's hard. Yes. I can tell. It's, all, it's like escapism yeah. and all. I what know. So we all do that, do I that know. kind of stuff. But yeah, dreaming is truly the best. We did an episode, so on lucid dreaming with Charlie Morley, you guys can listen to. Also shamanic, we did ceremony uh, healing. Do you remember that? We had yes. that, that was uh, years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we did another episode on dreams. You can search dreams, almost 30. That's that's a lot older. That talks about the collective experience of dreaming. I think we're early with that kind of conversation. I think I we're think kind so. of early. People are like, you guys are freaking weird. Yeah. And then hey. a year from now, you're going to be like, you're like Google search. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so today on the podcast is a, such a good one. And I loved it because it's very science focused and it's about yeah. meditation. And it's just a beautiful way. If you guys are meditators that have meditated for a long time, then this is going to be a beautiful reminder about all the benefits that you're getting about what's really happening to your brain chemistry and your life. And then if you've never meditated before, this is a beautiful introduction. It'll really help to lay the foundation for the reasoning why meditation is going to profoundly transform your life or be a really beautiful part of your experience. Yeah. And Emily is the founder of Ziva Meditation. So you can check out zivameditation.com. But she used to be an actress, performer. She was on Broadway. Yeah, I just related to so much of her transition to kind of more of this spiritual space and experience. Um, so I think you guys will enjoy her story of pivoting. But yeah, I, I feel like I talk to a few people every week about meditation and just how they're like, oh, I'm getting more into it or it's hard for me to stick with it. And oftentimes we bring our expectations mm-hmm. into meditation. We bring just the expectation of feeling better, of what we think it should feel like. And so I think this conversation actually really helped me to 
settle into my own experience to connect the science. Um, so I think I think you guys are really going to like this. And please pass it on to anyone who's like, I can't meditate, but I yes. want to. Yeah, the, there's so much about the brain mm-hmm. that's happening with meditation. There's so many different studies that are coming out every single day that talk about the benefits of meditation on all aspects of life, on yeah. stress, on hormones, on our brain, on just like our genetics. And I think she talked a little bit about our gene expression, how through epigenetics, you can change your gene expression through the use of meditation. And I've been meditating since 2012 and it's saved my life. I mean, it profoundly changed me and changed my brain and changed the way that I operate in the world and is a non-negotiable in the way that I you know, live my life. So I cannot recommend meditation enough. I know sometimes people like glaze over whenever people talk about it. They're like, yeah, I get it. Meditation, water, uh, sleep. But it truly is so powerful. And in spirituality, it's been the most spiritual thing that I could do is coming home to myself every day, coming home to source, coming home to God through my meditation practice. Mm -hmm. Amen. You can connect with Emily on Instagram at Emily Fletcher and then zivameditation.com. And for anyone who's new to Almost 30, you can learn more about who we are, our journey. We have courses and programs to support you in your evolution at almost30.com. We are also super passionate about podcasting. It is you know, something that Krista and I have learned how to do and become experts in firsthand. We built this thing from our closet floors. So if you are a podcaster or you want to become a podcaster or you have friends who want to podcast, please let them know that we have Podcast Pro as a resource and hub for all things podcasting programs, one-on-one coaching, and uh, downloadables. Yes, it is the best. You can watch this video on YouTube too. So Emily's super animated. She's super charismatic. So it's great to watch this on YouTube. You can subscribe at Almost 30 Podcast, Almost 30 Podcast on Instagram, almost30.com for all the information Lindsay just talked about. And we love you guys so much. We are grateful for you. We are excited that we are in your world. And we want to thank you for supporting Almost 30 over the years. Always. Love you guys. See you on the other side. See you soon. Emily Fletcher in the studio. So excited. Welcome. Oh, live in person. Well, live in person. Remember faces and humans? I know. I know. It's we so had, exciting. Um, a few months ago, we had a friend come in uh, for an interview and she, it was like two hours after. She's like, I'm sorry. I just, you guys are the first person I've seen. I don't want to leave. I was <laughs> like, so sweet. I was like, oh, I know. Please enjoy this three-hour Please episode. This. Yes. <laughs> um, well, we're looking forward to having you here. I feel like there's so much for us to talk about. And one of the things that attracted me to you and having you on the show is like, you are a very magnetic person like in real life and on camera, especially like you are very intentional with your words. You're very thoughtful. You're very mindful. And it's like a very beautiful thing. Like Mm. you're very much able to convey points across very easily for people to understand. So we're just excited to have you. And we've never done a full episode on meditation. I know we'll talk about other things, but we've never done like a full deep dive on it. Yeah. Oh, that feels very exciting. I know. Also, remember when I walked in and I couldn't form complete sentences? <laughs> I was like, I'm a keynote speaker, everyone. <laughs> we did some vocal, vocal warmups. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, Krista and I were talking before this and just how our audience is so, is more advanced mm-hmm. than I think, you know, we sometimes think like yeah. they really are so, so dedicated to their practice. Practices and Krista talks about meditation a lot, and it's just been a practice that both of us have, you know, just implemented very uh, in a very disciplined way because it's changed our lives. But yeah. when did you, when did you find meditation and make this your life's work? So I found it twelve years ago. 
uh, back when I was kicking a leg and putting on a fake lash, singing and dancing on Broadway. I could see it. <laughs> People <laughs> that come from Broadway are so amazing because you can tell in the way that they move in life. Mm-hmm. Like after someone says that, you're like, oh, this makes sense. Yeah. I, I was just thinking the other day that whenever I was in acting class, people would always be like, Emily, you're moving like a dancer. Like no matter what role I was playing, I couldn't not move like a dancer. And I think that's finally gone. And I got a little sad about it. It's like, all oh, right, I sit quietly in a chair for a living now. <laughs> Maybe I need to move the, my core a little bit more. Um, but I was understudying three of the lead roles in a chorus line. I was ju- I was literally like, have you done a chorus line? Yeah. So literally I understudied thinking. Judy and Cassie and Sheila. Wow. And... No, that is a lie. I just lied. I understudied Judy and Sheila and Val. So Val's the tits and ass one. And she, that the one who played that role, called out all the time. And so I was always thrown on at a moment's notice. And sometimes I would just be chilling in my dressing room. They'd be like, Emily Fletcher, I need you on stage. And I would run down seven flights of stairs. Someone would throw me in a leotard. And it wouldn't be till I was on stage till I knew which character I was playing. So constantly in this state of fight or flight, constantly in panic. And that led to insomnia, going gray in my 20s, getting sick, getting injured. And I was like, this is not my dream. Because I really thought once I got on Broadway, it was going to be martinis with Liza at Sardis. And instead, it was girls complaining about their bunions, eating tuna fish out of a can, and me having panic attacks, listening to Eckhart Tolle in between shows under my dressing room table. Mm -hmm. And so long story short, I found meditation and changed my whole life. It cured my insomnia after 18 months of not sleeping through the night. I slept through the night. I have every night since. That was 12 years ago. I stopped going gray until very recently. <laughs> so, you know, going through a mega again. life change in a pandemic with a two-year-old. I'm like, all right. But, you know, going gray at 26 is different than 42. And I was also getting injured and sick. And it was very confusing why I was living my dream and miserable. So long story short, I found meditation and it changed my whole life. In addition to curing my insomnia, I did not get sick for eight and a half years. I stopped going gray, but I think the most profound change is that I started enjoying my job again. And so I was like, why does everyone not do this? Left Broadway, went to India, started what became a three-year training process to teach this. And then since graduating, I've taught now 50,000 people to meditate, which I'm very proud of. And that doesn't mean like one guided session. Like I've taught 50,000 people how to do it on their own, how to wake up and meditate without me, without an app, without a dude playing drums on their chest. Like they can just close their eyes and go inside. And I feel very proud of that. And and now it's so fun to see people waking up in mass of like, oh, I can't just caffeinate myself all day and drink myself to sleep at night and wonder why I'm getting, you know, cancer or breaking down at 40. So it's like, we're starting to see that we have to take care of our minds and our souls and our hearts in this way that is sustainable and enjoyable, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's so good. Like it feels mm-hmm. good when you're doing it. It makes your whole life better. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, I don't understand why everyone isn't doing this. Mm-hmm. Well, people, I think I was wondering, I was thinking about that before. Like people say that they can't and they say that it's hard. And I don't, it's hard. It, and, and it's not hard, but it's, I do relate to the fact of you don't understand what it does for you until you experience it. Yeah. And so what do you say to those people that say they can't meditate or they find it to be challenging? Well, first of all, I congratulate them on even being curious and I want to validate anything that they're doing to move in a direction. And I want to give a lot of permission slips because a lot of people have a meditation shame because they think that they should secretly already know how to do it. A lot of people think that it was a skill that was taught in 10th grade when they just happened to be sick. So they're like, I'm just going to pretend like I know what I'm doing. And they just close their eyes and they're like, okay, brain, stop thinking. 
mm, sure would like a snack. Mm, snacks are delicious. Oh no, I suck at meditation. I quit. And then they potentially rob themselves of a lifetime of bliss and fulfillment because they're simply basing their success based on misinformation. And so there's this really big fallacy out there, which is that the point of meditation is to clear the mind, right? And just like with sex, you may orgasm, but it's not like, oh, I orgasm in order to have sex. Like you have sex and orgasm is a byproduct of that. It's the same thing with a clear mind. If you meditate, you your mind will likely feel more clear on the other side. But if you go in being like, okay, I'm going to clear my mind right now, it's likely going to feel very frustrating mm-hmm. versus like putting undue pressure on an orgasm when you're having sex. Mm-hmm. And so if people go in thinking that the result is the technique, it's where people get tripped up sometimes. So the really liberating permission slip is this. And anyone who's ever tried meditation and felt like a failure, please listen to this one piece of information because it could really change the rest of your life. The mind thinks involuntarily just like the heart beats involuntarily. So trying to give your brain a command to shut up is as impactful as trying to give your heart a command to stop beating. It does not work. And here's the good news. You can get all of these scientifically proven benefits even if you're having thoughts during your meditation, Mm -hmm. right? No one cares if you're a good meditator. Everyone cares if you're good at life. And this is our whole thing at Ziva, right? It's like we meditate to get better at life, not to get better at meditation. Mm -hmm. Mm. The mind-body connection is is really fascinating. And I feel like, especially in the last year, just with like everyone being in that low state of like fight or flight, stress, and I just can't imagine the lasting effects on the body that this last year has done. And so like, can you just, can you give us a little bit of the science behind how meditation can affect your physical body? Yeah. So I think it's important to understand how stress is impacting the body. And then we can see why meditation seems so miraculous and magical. It's, it's not a miracle. It's not magic. It feels like it, but that's actually because of the detriments of stress. So if you think back 10,000 years, you're hunting and gathering in the woods, tiger comes out with the intent to kill. Your body's going to launch into fight or flight. That's where it came from, right? Your digestion will flood with acid to shut down digestion because we need all of that energy to fight or flee the tiger. That acid will then seep onto your skin so you don't taste very good if that tiger bites into you. And so that's what prematurely ages us is when our skin is overly acidic for long periods of time. Um, Your bladder and bowels will evacuate so that you're light on your feet so you can flee the tiger. Your immune system goes to the back burner because who cares if you're going to get cancer if you're about to be killed by the tiger. Again, all hands on deck. Reproductive things go to the back burner. Um, Adrenaline levels increase. Cortisol levels increase. So this series of chemical reactions is very useful if your demands are tigers. But if your demands are breakups, pandemics, in-laws, travel, job interviews, then this fight or flight thing has become maladaptive. It is now disallowing us from performing at the top of our game and our bodies have not yet evolved to adapt to our modern day demands. And this is why stress is such an epidemic. I mean, even before the pandemic, stress Mm -hmm. was its own epidemic. According to Harvard Medical School, they were saying that stress is responsible for 90% of all doctors' visits. Now you add on top of that a global pandemic, loneliness, which is physiologically worse for us than smoking. And, you know, all of the life changes that have come on top of the pandemic and isolation, divorces, whole industries shutting down, homeschooling, loss of friends, friends moving, moving yourself. Like these are legit, or the loss of someone, 
Like so many people are grieving lost friends and family members. And sometimes we're dealing with multiple traumatic events on top of each other. And so we have to get very real about dealing with the long tail impact of this pandemic. And, and that is the stress. And because stress is not just something that's happening mentally. Your brain is responsible for printing every single cell in your body. So if you have the brain of stress, guess what? You're going to have the body of stress. If a tiger were to come in here right now, Within 30 seconds, we would have adrenaline and cortisol in our bloodstream. Within 10 minutes, we've had adrenaline and cortisol in our marrow, which is the most viscous liquid in the body. Now, here's the good news. When you start meditating, within 30 to 45 seconds, you start to have dopamine and serotonin, which are bliss chemicals. You start to have that in your bloodstream. Within 10 minutes, you start to have the marrow of bliss. Mm. So meditation is not just like a cute pedicure for your brain, okay? This is not like a bubble bath you need to get around to when you have more time. This really is the single most important piece of mental hygiene that we, we should have been practicing every day before the pandemic. Now it's non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable. And, and what's about to happen is that, you know, things are going to start to open up and we're going to have like, I don't know how to form complete sentences. <laughs> I don't, hello, my name is Emily. <laughs> I am not a robot. Like You don't have to like figure out how to be with humans again. And possibly move or industries will have changed. And all of that requires adaptation. And what I think is one of the most beautiful benefits of meditation is the filling up of your reservoirs of this thing called adaptation energy, which is really just your ability to adapt to a mm -hmm. change of demand. And, and if you even take everything that's going on right now out of it, just the rate of change on the planet is getting faster and faster. And I really think that the single marker of human success moving forward is going to be your ability to adapt. And so when you're stressed, you, you just don't, I can't, not right now. Don't look at me, not today. No, no, no. And you just delay the decision. You delay the stress. You delay the hard conversation. But if you can get yourself out of that state, remind yourself that you're God pretending to be human, remind yourself that you are the ocean pretending to be the wave, then all of the decisions, all of the demands don't seem so uh, overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, being adaptive is like one of the best qualities yeah. ever. Yeah. For a team member, for a partner, for yourself, like when you're able to just ride the wave of whatever's going on, I mean, there's no better feeling. Like there's just, mm -hmm. I think that quality in someone is really underrated. And think about what a gift it is to everyone around you. Because yes. if you can't mm -hmm. adapt to the people around yes. you, guess what? You're making them adapt to you. Mm -hmm. And what you're unintentionally doing is creating a lot of karmic debts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually with the, the point of karmic debts, I guess, can you explain that concept a little bit more? Yeah, so, I mean, Think about what you just said. It's such a, it's great. It's great to have a team member like that, a partner mm -hmm. like that, a parent, a kid was like, oh, you want to see that movie? Great. You want to go to a restaurant? Awesome. Oh, we're changing the deadline? Great. I'm right on it. Where it's just like you roll with the new now, the new mm -hmm. now, the new now. And, and that's really where our bliss lives. It's always here. It's always now. And if you're stressed, that means your left brain is in charge. And the left brain is in charge of the past and the future. Mm. The whole point of the left brain is to review all of your traumas from your past to see how likely they are to happen again in the future. And that's an important part of our brain. Like we need the fear. Mm -hmm. We need the strategy. We need the, you know, logical thinking. But the, the news is that our right hemisphere of our brain is also 50%. Mm-hmm. 
And most of us have been using 90-10. Most mm-hmm. of us have just been in that thinking, taking action, achieving, making money. And our left brain, past, future, past, future, and our right brains are atrophying. Mm-hmm. And the right brain is in charge of present moment, intuition, mm-hmm. creativity, adaptation, music, connectedness. And so when we start taking that thing to the gym, when we meditate, it's now, 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 now. Mm-hmm. So a change of expectation is not that big of a deal. Right, but but if you don't have that practice to be in the new now, then every change of expectation starts to cost you something. It burns up adaptation energy, and when we run out of adaptation energy, and then we have another demand. The four hundred five is super crowded. The boyfriend broke up with us. If you're already out, and then you have like the straw that breaks the camel's back, you're gonna launch into a fight or flight stress reaction, whether you've read Eat, Pray, Love or not. Right, like you're gonna start crying in the kitchen. You're gonna punch the wall. You're gonna say the thing that you have to apologize for tomorrow. And and what I find with meditators is that it's not that they don't make mistakes. It's not that they don't have feelings, but they're not running on empty anymore. And because their amygdala has not hijacked their prefrontal cortex, they can actually access the executive function of their brain. Right? So the amygdala is the fear center. The prefrontal cortex is the executive function. And when we are in fight or flight, the amygdala takes over. And so all that blood, all that energy goes to that survival state and you you actually can't access the piece of you that makes good decisions. And that's why, you know, I'm sorry, I was just so overwhelmed. I was so stressed. I'm sorry I said that. I just didn't know what I was saying. It's like we go into almost a psychosis. Mm-hmm, yes. And we're just and we're just collectively being like, oh yeah, it's okay to just stay stressed. Mm-hmm. And my whole mission in my life and Aziva is to eradicate the world of unnecessary suffering. Mm-hmm. And I get that some suffering is part of being human. I get that people are going to die and even pandemics are going to happen, right? Like I get it. But unnecessary suffering, like insomnia Mm -hmm. and anxiety and overwhelm, like these are solvable problems. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm just shouting this from the rooftop so loudly. It's like, hey, everyone, like I know you downloaded the meditation app, but are you actually meditating like Mm -hmm. every single day, twice a day? Are you actually adaptive? How's your sleep? How's your sex life? How's your decision making? How's your energy? Right? Like these are the things mm-hmm. that we care about. Mm-hmm. It's curious. I'm interested too, like with the right side of the brain. So if, you know, that's experiencing atrophy, is that has that been studied? Mm-hmm. Wow. And it's interesting, you know, I've been thinking about EMDR and how EMDR sort of helps the communication between the left and right hemisphere of the brain and how it almost pulls memories from the amygdala to your prefrontal cortex so you can reprocess them through the process of the activation of the left um, and right hemisphere of the brain. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking of how helpful that has been for me and how I wonder EMDR if- EMDR has been helpful yes, for you? Great. Yeah. I'm so And glad. I wonder if that can also contribute to greater use of the right hemisphere of my brain because I'm activating both hemispheres and I'm improving the communication lines between those. 1,000%. Yeah. So what I've found in the studies I've seen is that specifically with trauma, and this is with like PTSD, um, veterans and um victims of sex trafficking, that they'll often use the combination of meditation and EMDR Mm -hmm. to clear that acute trauma. Mm -hmm. And then what's happening, I don't know a ton about EMDR except for its complementary usages Mm -hmm. with meditation. But what I know with meditation is that because you're taking your right brain to the gym, which isn't totally true, but you're being, the analogy that I use is that you're like going into rooms of an attic that haven't been touched mm-hmm. in a while. You're like, whew, like blowing mm-hmm. the dust off of things. Mm-hmm. And, and as you start to take those pieces of the brain to the gym, which really just means energy is being sent there. Blood is going there. Um, you're f- forming new neuropeptide connections. Um, and so when you do that over time, 
meditators start to form a thicker corpus callosum, which is the thin white strip that connects the right and left hemispheres of the brain. And it likely is strengthening of the MDR, but you can fact check me mm-hmm, on that. Mm-hmm. I would assume because of the eye yeah. movement from left to right. But in meditation, what's happening, and we've known for a long time that meditators have thicker corpus callosums than non-meditators, but we weren't able to prove if that was causal or correlated. But now we know that the longer you meditate, the thicker your corpus callosum becomes. It's like, okay, cool party trick, but why would I want a fat corpus callosum? It's like, well, everyone should, and here's why. That thing is literally the bridge that connects your masculine and feminine, your past and future with your present moment, Mm. your uh, critical mind with your creative mind. Mm. And so the thicker your corpus callosum is, the easier it is to come up with all those problem-solving ideas, even in the middle of a high-demand situation. Because no one cares how good your rehearsal is. Mm -hmm. No one cares how great your interview was the night before. Like it matters how well you do when it's go time. Mm -hmm. And so imagine you get into a fight with your partner and it gets pretty heated. And it gets really heated and then you shut down and retreat to the bedroom. And like two hours later, once you calm down, you start coming up with all these hilarious witty comebacks and you're like, mm-hmm. why could I have thought of that in the mm-hmm. moment? Yes. <laughs> but my mm-hmm. theory is that the thicker corpus callosum is, the easier it is for you to download that stuff yes. in the moment. That was actually a goal of mine like a few years ago. I was like, I want to be able to respond in the moment as if I was thinking like an hour later yes. and just being so present that like yes. it surprises people. Yes. And I find that to be really fun. And isn't that such a great like superpower to have mm-hmm. as an interviewer? Yes. Because yeah, you're holding, oh, here's all my questions, but yep. then they just said something really interesting and I don't want to miss that to go oh, to my yes. next question. So you're For holding sure. multiple things mm-hmm. and the best stand-up comics mm-hmm. are masters of it mm-hmm. because you know they have their whole set and it's memorized, but they're also riffing on the energy in the room and taking you down some other rabbit hole. And that's, that's improv. That's, being channeled. And I would argue that your right brain sort of like the mm. the router, right? That it's connecting you to the Wi-Fi network, which is creative and collective mm. intelligence. And so if you're strengthening your right brain with meditation every day, twice a day, it's not the downloads aren't just going to happen in the meditation. Because everyone gets so scared. Emily had this great idea and I want to write it down. Can I just write it down? I'm like, no, that's called journaling. Like meditation is different from journaling. Do not <laughs> write down your ideas during your practice. <laughs> um, but, you, but the cool thing is you don't have to be so precious about the downloads mm. because they're going to be happening all the time. Yes. That antenna is going to be tuned to nature and creativity all day long. Mm. It's provided that you're practicing every day. Mm. I'm curious what you think, like just this idea of productivity. And I think we're pretty obsessed in our society with productivity where meditation doesn't feel productive to people because you're sitting still and because you're quote unquote, not doing anything, Um, which I know not to be true, but that's kind of the feeling in the body too. Yeah. I don't have Um, time to meditate. I'm too busy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you say to those people? I have a few in my life that I'm like, what am I going to say to them? Because it's like, I don't have time or it's never worked for me. Um, yeah, I just, cause they're, it's like those people that need it the most, you know? And so, yeah, I'd love to talk about productivity Mm -hmm. and then how we begin to kind of talk about this to people who just say, I don't have time or it's not for me. You know, I need to be doing something. Yeah. So I've built my whole career on that exact human. Okay. Cause it's most of the world, like in our circles, like all of our witch friends are meditating. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or they, they at least like are in ceremony of some sort. Mm -hmm. And but that's not the majority of the world. That's not the majority of our of our country. People think, oh, meditation's so like overplayed or saturated. It's like, okay, when you go home for Thanksgiving, does your family meditate mm-hmm. in the morning? How about Christmas? How about mm-hmm. New Year's? You all meditating together every morning mm-hmm. before you start cocktails? <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> so until like everyone's going home and meditating with their families, like we got work to do. Uh, and so I've basically built my whole career on this idea that 
that meditation can actually be a performance tool. And, and that was radical. When I started teaching 12 years ago, that was like weird. Uh, there was a whole New York Times article about like, meditation really help you get ahead at work. That's how I got my first book deal. It was this like crazy article. Because we, uh, back in the day, sorry, like back in the day, 10 years ago, it was like, a little, <laughs> it was more monastic, right? Like you would Google meditation in New York City and it was just me and some monks teaching. And now it's so ubiquitous with like, um, you know, Tim Ferriss, Oprah Winfrey, mm -hmm. the Seattle Seahawks. Like there's so many high performers that are saying like, this is my secret to success. Ray Dalio says, you know, all of my financial success I attribute to meditation. Oprah says it makes her a thousand times more productive. So if you're listening, if you're paying attention, which a lot of people aren't, there's thousands of new scientific studies coming out, you know, well, let's say thousands a year, probably hundreds a month, um, sort of proving the cognitive benefits, the health benefits. But here's what I say to people who think they don't have time to meditate. One is if Oprah has time to meditate, you have time to meditate. <laughs> <laughs> Two, um, stress makes you stupid, sick, and slow. Mm -hmm. It's on the back cover of my book. Stress makes you stupid, sick, and slow. And that sounds harsh, but it's like the reason why you think you don't have time to meditate is because your brain is not functioning as, a, as accurately as it could and efficiently as it could. So if we want to get a little nerdy on this, there's something called the tripartite performance variability test, which is really just a fancy way of saying like doing three things at once well. And so they tested non-meditators and meditators. And meditators performed 40, 40% higher on this tripartite performance variability test, which basically meant they could do things quickly, accurately, and all while remaining calm. So most people can do things quickly and accurately, but they break the F out, or they can do it accurately and slowly. Or like they can do two out of the three if they're not meditating, but as meditators, you can do three out of the three 40% better. And so what I will say is that your to-do list, it takes you five hours a day, that'll be two. Mm -hmm. Your nine hours of sleep you're getting a night and waking up exhausted, you'll start to need six or seven. How many sick days, sick days did you take this week? How many bad decisions did you make this quarter? You know, five o'clock mm -hmm. when you go and need your coffee. What if you meditated instead? It'll one, save you money. Two, you're not going to have the crash. Three, it's not going to give you insomnia. So you're going to have to recaffeinate tomorrow morning. And that's not, that's not even talking about the fact that when you're meditating, you're increasing neuroplasticity versus if you're chemically amping yourself, then you are, there's a cost to that, mm. right? And Dave Asprey gets mad at me when I start talking about that. Like I gave a talk at Google, it was called- And I'm putting my bulletproof down uh, oh, on the look, look, I am, look. <laughs> Say more. <laughs> so look, Dave's a great friend. Some people are really good. Some people are good <laughs> coffee drinkers, meaning like coffee's good for them. For me personally, coffee is toxic. Like I already talk way too fast for meditation teacher. You put me on coffee and was like, you need to chill the F out, lady. <laughs> um, but so caffeine can be very good for certain doshas or body types. But for me, because I'm quite vata dominant, it, it like, it's like speed for mm. me. Um, however, this talk I gave at Google was called Why Meditation is the New Caffeine. And the argument I was making is that it takes you the same amount of time. It actually costs you less money if you do the math over a few years. And it's generative. Like the benefits are cumulative and you're healing your brain versus if you're over caffeinating, you're not giving your body energy, you are dis, disabling your brain's ability to feel tired because caffeine is yes. molecularly mm -hmm. very similar to a chemical called adenosine, which is what your brain produces to tell you that you're tired. And because the caffeine blocks those adenosine receptors, you feel like you're awake, but then when the caffeine goes away, your brain has all the while been producing that adenosine. And so then it floods in and you're like, whoa, I'm super tired. Now, on top of that, when you sort of hijack the nervous system, you're flooding it with adrenaline. You can flood it with adrenaline and cortisol. So it's a bit of a five alarm thing. And over time, that 
that can just cost something to the body. Now, one cup of coffee in the morning, fine, great. It's not going to hurt you. But if you're overdoing it on top of exhaustion, this is where we start to get into trouble. And so I'm like, well, why don't you just spend less money and do a thing that's going to give you more energy and won't give you insomnia? And if you're not putting like sugar and milk in it, also like, you know, win, win, win. Totally. I do one a day just because. Great. And <laughs> but I yeah, I know no what you judgment. mean. That makes me sad for the body. <laughs> what, one a just day? Just like lying to it. What do you mean? Oh. You know, when you like <laughs> lie to the body and you're like, oh, you're not tired and you're like faking it that you're oh, not tired. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Yeah. The things that mm-hmm. we do, I mean, it's whatever. But I just think what, about that sometimes. Like John like, Mackey will be like, that energy is not your own. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. they. What do they say? It's not good for your chi. Or like, it's not very good for your chi. Mm. I, I thought it was fascinating. I was listening to your interview with Aubrey Marcus oh. and you were talking about, I want to talk a little bit about meditation and manifestation okay, um, and just worshiping the in-between and how like- the, What's the in-between? Meaning like you're watering the weeds instead of the flower oh, you yeah, spoke yeah, yeah. about. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about that a lot because I, I feel like that used to be me where I was like, but I'm just not there yet. Like I was also wanting to be a Broadway star. Really? And Yeah. And oh. so like, it was always like, I'm not there yet. I was always focused on the gap. What do I have to do in order to get from here to there rather than truly embodying and like feeling into, ah, oh, I am here already. It's just a matter of opportunity and preparation, all these things. So I'd love to talk about that related to meditation um, because our audience is definitely very much a crew of, of manifestors. Great. So this is my new jam. I actually think my next book is going to be about manifesting. And as I've been dabbling in and learning more about sex magic, sex magic is really just manifesting on crack, right? It's just taking this idea of feeling good and you feeling as good as you possibly can and then directing that energy into your dream and getting so, so clear about what your dream is. And and the beautiful thing here is that when you combine meditation and manifesting, like this is where the magic happens. Mm -hmm. Because when you're meditating, you're de-exciting the nervous system, you're accessing source energy, you're flooding your brain and body with dopamine and serotonin. So you're feeling good in the now. You've also connected the right and left hemispheres of the brain so you can even download how nature wants to use you to begin with. You can even get clarity on what's your desires versus some societal programming of what you think you should have, which are very, very different, right? It's easy to be competitive about societal programming because it's like, well, we all should want more money. We all should want more cars. all want the same things so we have to compete versus if you're really listening to that inner guidance my desires are wildly different than yours we could both want to be on broadway and you could want to be in dream girls and i could want to be in a chorus line and be like uh oh well you're not black so you're probably not getting dream girls but we can talk yeah. about a different show like cats or something yes. <laughs> you crushed that i don't know yeah like, never happened, didn't do so, so well no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean? it's like when you're really listening to the specificity of your dreams yeah. they're your dreams mm, yeah i and, mean i spent my whole life not not really. It was other people's dreams for me, yeah. for sure. And so that's step one. And I think if you don't have a meditation practice, it's very hard to delineate and to mm, hear very that true. small whisper mm-hmm. inside. And once you hear that, there's a sense of trust and detachment that comes even from that because you realize 
that nature is the one that gave you the desire to begin with. And so inside of the desire are the tools to make it manifest, that nature is actually using you as a vessel to deliver your fulfillment to the world, that your dream is not where you need to go to fill yourself up. And this is where people get trapped, okay? They get into what I call the I'll be happy when syndrome because they think they will be happy once they get on Broadway, once they get the boyfriend, once they get the million followers on Instagram, once they get a million dollars in the bank account. And then it's very hard to not worship the space between. It's not. It's hard to not water the weeds of be like, oh, if I just had this, or I'll just work so hard until I get this, I'll be happy when this happens. And the beautiful thing of meditating first is it allows you to be fully here, fully now, which is the only place that our bliss lives here and now, here and now. Your bliss lives inside of you and it lives right now. It is not gonna magically come on the other side of a zero or a ring or a car or a boyfriend or a contract. It's always here, always now. So once we access that with meditation and then what I do in the Ziva technique is that I have people, once they've come out of the meditation, they're in that beautiful, surrendered, connected place. I have them ask this really simple question. What would I love right now? What would I love right now? And it's so simple, but no one's doing it. <laughs> Not even manifestors sometimes because we make the vision board, we get really clear on the thing and we put it on our wall and then we obsess about the fact that it's not here, right? And then we get attached to some dream that we had three months ago or that we had on January 1st versus like, you know what I would love right now? A nap, and then you take the nap and you have some Pulitzer Prize winning idea. You know what I love right now? You know what? F that Emily Fletcher lady. I'm gonna have a second cup of coffee. And you go to the coffee shop and you meet your love of your life. You know what I love right now? I want a watercolor. And you watercolor and like some magic idea happens because you're accessing your right brain. And so it's this, the whole really is greater than the sum of its parts when it comes to meditation and manifesting. Because you can meditate all day and if you are not clear about what it is that you want, it's very hard for nature to give you the thing. Yes. Conversely, mm -hmm. you could line your walls with vision boards and watch the secret on repeat. But if you are not meditating and your body is riddled with stress, chances are you don't believe that you deserve your desires. And it is very hard for nature to give you the thing that you want. And so I just listened to this thing this morning where it was like, manifesting is all about, I'm so happy where I am and I'm excited for more. I'm so happy and grateful exactly where I am. And I'm clear as a bell about what I'm excited about. And it truly is like the, the joke here is that it's all about feeling good because the better you feel, the higher quality stuff you're gonna be attracting. The better ideas you're gonna have, the better decisions you're gonna be making. And the, and the science behind manifesting is, is also pretty simple. But when you're clear about what the desire is, it's like you're quite literally programming your GPS of where you're going. And it's programming something called the RAS, which is the reticular activating system, which is the filtration device in our brain. So it's this bundle of neurons in the back of the brain. And at any given moment, moment, there's hundreds of millions of stimuli available to us. And the brain has to filter that out because it can't, you just can't process that much information in that short of a time. And so where this gets tricky and also why meditation is so important with manifesting is that if you're in fight or flight, then that reticular activating system has to uh, filter out for potentially life-threatening situations, mm. right? Is this chair going to break? Is she going to pull a gun on me? Is, is, someone, is a car going to drive through? Mm -hmm. You know, are we safe? Is that thing going to explode and catch on fire? Mm. And, and that's what paranoia is. It's all the worst case scenarios mm. all the time. And that takes up a lot of space in your brain. It takes up a lot of space in the reticular activating system. You do not have any room left for your dreams. 
So you get out of fight or flight, you get into stay and play, and you program your brain of where you want to go. Now it can be like, turn left, turn right, turn left, because your brain knows where the dream is. Mm. And that's why all the magic seems to happen. Oh, I thought about this person and they called. I had this idea to write a book and then a book agent called me. It's like, it was there all the time. You just couldn't see it because you were filtering out for worst case scenario. Mm. Wow. Beautiful. I guess, and the, the point of, you know, I'm so grateful for right now, but I'm excited for what's next. What is your thought? Like, I guess, where is the truth in that? Because, you know, people, I don't want people lying to themselves if they're not happy. So I guess, how do you have people? And obviously, once you really realize that everything is happening for you, you do become in a state of gratitude and you are happy, essentially, almost in a lot more situations. But I guess, where do you have people honor their truth if they're actually not doing well? And how does that play into their manifestation of being grateful and excited for the next moment. Yeah, thank you so much for asking that because the sort of toxic, you know, far end of that spectrum of what I just said is the toxic positivity or the spiritual bypass or just putting a happy face sticker on top of an empty tank of gas. So nothing of what I said is meant to intend that your feelings are not valid, Mm -hmm. right? Your feelings are real, your feelings are valid. And here's the big news, feelings are meant for feeling. Thank you, Glennon Doyle, my patron saint, Glennon Doyle. <laughs> I've read Untamed 10 times. Um, if you guys have Glennon on, please call me. I mean, she's, she's amazing. Wait, wait. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, okay. I got, I'm listening to that <laughs> yeah. on my ride home. Yeah. <laughs> to do. Yeah, oh. she's amazing. Whoa, big time girl mm-hmm. crush. Um, anyway, feelings are meant for feeling, right? And I actually, not to do a whole sidetrack, but I've, I've just spent the past two years creating this kids course that the whole point of it is giving kids the tools to feel their feelings. Mm. There's these puppets called the stormies. There's a scared, stor- scared stormy, the angry stormy, the sad, the sad angry, and scared, mm. right? And they're the representatives of these feelings that come up. And I use the stormies because it's to show kids that every storm runs out of rain. And then if you just let yourself feel it, if you mm. let yourself cry, what's right behind that is usually bliss. And people are just, oh, I'm, so, I'm gonna break down, I'm gonna lose it. You don't lose anything when you cry except for toxins out of your eyeballs. Nothing breaks inside of you when you feel your feelings. And so it's a paradox, but it's true. It's like the more you can be honest about where you are, the more you can give yourself the safety or the support that you need to feel and process whatever heaviness or darkness or trauma is going on, that is actually a way to the new now. And, and what I have found is if you truly surrender to the catharsis, there's even a piece of that that is a little enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Or it's just like, oh, let me just have the ugly cry. Mm-hmm. Let me just be in this. And if you fully surrender to it, then you can move into the new now. Like we were talking about Layla Martin earlier and she's become a really good friend and she has a massive capacity. I mean, she's a true master. And I've been going through a really challenging time for the past few months and I saw her and she just said, you know, how are you doing? It cut to me just like, <laughs> like just sobbing, ugly crying. And I think my body knew that she had the capacity mm-hmm, to hold yeah. the intensity of mm-hmm. my feeling. And so I felt safe enough to just go. And she just held me. She wrapped her arms around me and her legs around me. And she was like, just go, like lean into it, feel all of it. That's what she was, feel all of it, Emily, feel mm-hmm. all of it. And when she felt like the purge was nearing an end, that I had like released everything I needed to release, which felt like three hours, it was probably five minutes. Mm-hmm. And that's the hilarious joke of it, is that when you cry, it's usually five minutes. Mm-hmm. And instead of just feeling our feelings for a few minutes, we just repress them for decades mm-hmm. until we have to cut it out as cancer, right? But she just held me and she let me release all of it. And then when it was nearing the, the, the end, she said, can you meet this fear with love that is even greater? Mm. And can you meet this pain with love that is even greater? 
And when I did that, I felt, you know, safer, 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 safer. And then this beautiful flood of of almost ecstasy and bliss washed Mm -hmm. over me. And that's the thing that we're not taught as children. That's why I made this kid's course is because for since infancy, most of us have been taught, shh, don't mm-hmm. cry, have a bottle. Don't cry, have a toy, have an mm-hmm. iPad, have some Zoloft, have some Xanax, have some ADHD mm-hmm. medication, have some booze, have some porn, yeah. have some pot. Don't feel. Whatever you do, don't feel because your sadness makes me sad. Mm-hmm. Your anger makes me angry and I don't have the emotional capacity to deal with that. So I'm going to try and repress your feelings. And that's what we've all been trained since infancy. And, and I'm trying to get the younger generation now to, to give a language and, a, and the dexterity and the tools to be able to navigate it. So we're not putting shame on top of feelings. Mm-hmm. We're just feeling them. Those are hard enough. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, point of the story is that it's both and. Mm-hmm. You're allowed to be sad, so, so sad. You're allowed to be scared and angry. And if you feel it fully, usually you could even be thankful for the release. Mm-hmm. I'm so thankful for this spaciousness. I'm so thankful that I'm safe. I made it through that big feeling and I didn't die. Mm-hmm. There was a piece of me that was afraid I was going to die if I felt that and I didn't. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad that I'm here. I'm excited for what's next. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Isn't it dope when your friends are like facilitators? Yes. <laughs> I feel like all of our friends are like some sort yes. of like space holder facilitator. Yes. Deep belly breath. I uh, know. Honestly, they, they like switch Beautiful. on. They're yeah. like, all right, how does that, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's the best. I'm like, God, I feel so lucky. We are. Yes. We're the luckiest. Like, like a birthday party turns yes. into a full-blown seance. A percent, literally. <laughs> but it's like, I mean, people would pay, I mean, they do pay so much, you know, with Layla. And it's like, this is my friend that you can just like let it rip with, mm-hmm. which is so beautiful. Yeah, and it feels like the- the kids course, which I think is so beautiful. Love that. It's like, is it also teaching some like, are the parents learning too how to? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yes. Thank okay. you for asking that. So it's, so it's Ziva Kids. And when you enroll, you can choose, do I want four to eight or nine to 14? So it's two different courses. And I have this really fun co-star. His name is Z Bunny. He's a puppet that I've been working on for two years with the folks from Sesame Street and Harvard. And he's hilarious. And like the thing, the joy that I did not know I needed in my life is every morning waking up to like Instagram and Facebook posts of people sharing videos of their kids, like dancing and shaking out their stormies with Z-Bunny wow. and like drawing like emo- like pictures Aww. of their emotions and like wanting stuffed animals of the stormies to express their feelings. Um, so yes, there's it's a training in mindfulness, meditation and manifesting for kids, four to 14, but there is also an adult training in there. And it's not training the adults how to meditate. That's Ziva online. That's a different course, but this is training training the adults on how to be really good sidekicks. So Z Bunny's training to be a superhero. And so the kids are sort of every day he has challenges, which bring up the stormies. And then I teach him a new superpower, like mindfulness, meditation, or manifesting. And then he gets a badge each day. And then finally at the end, he gets his cape and he's a superhero. So anyway, the parents are training how to be sidekicks, right? Like how do they not become the meditation police? How do they not um, force their kids to meditate? Or, uh, and even how to invite versus demand. And then also what happens even with kids is that because Eva is so powerful, like this is not just a mindfulness app, like this is really a very powerful cathartic tool and it can really release old stresses from the body. Um, Kids themselves can go through a mental and physical detoxification. And so I'm teaching the parents how to help support their kids through that. Wow. What what does that look like? The detox? Yeah. For for kids kids or for adults? For kids. Um, I mean, to be honest, it hasn't been too intense so far, but it's new. Like we just released the program two weeks ago. So we've only had probably like 800 folks go through it, Um, but that'll start growing. And so Mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll start to get more anecdotal um, anecdotal Mm -hmm. evidence. But with adults, and this is one of the things that's sort of unique to this practice is that mindfulness 
which is P.S. what most people are calling meditation. Like most of the apps out there, I would call mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Most of the guided YouTube videos, the drop-in studios, anytime someone's guiding you through something, I would call that mindfulness because it's activating the prefrontal cortex. You're staying, you're directing your focus. You're staying in the realm of thinking versus Ziva is all about taking you to the realm of being. It's all about dropping you beyond the left brain and into the right. It's giving your body rest that's five times deeper than sleep. And when you do that, when you de-excite the nervous system, you create order. And when you create order in your body, this lifetime of accumulated stresses that we have in our cells can start to come up and out. Mm. And when that stress comes up and out, it has to go somewhere. So if you have sadness inside, there's going to be some sad flavored stress that comes up and out. Mm. You have some fatigue inside. You might have some fatigue, some tiredness that comes up and out. And so that's a big part of my job and my team's job. Like I have 12 employees that are all there to support people through that process in our groups, on our calls as people are going through it because it can be scary because no one's talking about it, right? Mm -hmm. People think, oh, I'm meditating. I should just be like enlightened and vibrating on a cloud of unicorns for the rest of my life. And it's like, well, no, actually, if you've had decades of trauma, it's likely these first few months are going to be really hard. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and we got to be easy and we got to make sure we're eating clean foods and exercising and sleeping and ideally in therapy as well so that you have the support that you need as your body goes through a pretty powerful detoxification. Mm -hmm. I wonder if breath work, like breath work would be like the up and out you know, for things. It can help. I and if people do breath work in addition to Ziva, I recommend that they do it beforehand because right. the beautiful like clearing and opening mm -hmm. of the channels and it can help to induce a release. So if you feel one coming mm -hmm. on, but it's a little stuck, you could do some breath work to just mm -hmm. sort of get the get the engines going. Let it rip. Mm -hmm. And I also recommend like, just go watch the saddest movie you can find. Like The, the Fault in Our Stars, Dying Young. <laughs> oh my like, God, just go Fault for in it. Our Stars. Remember oh how sad God, that was? Dude, what the freaking heck? I read that book. That was I read that book on the bus in Chicago. I read Oof. the bus to work. In winter? Um, yeah, it was, it was a sexy time. Um, when you said sex magic, so is sex magic specific to sex or is it really just like, that feeling of ecstasy and bliss? Good question. So, and I was, again, shout out Layla Martin because I'm everything I know about sex magic, I've learned from her. Um, so it is the art of creating your own pleasure and your own feeling good and sending that energy to your dream. Mm -hmm. So you can practice sex magic on your own or with a partner or in a group. And it's it's pretty simple. You would just imagine, and you would go back to the question that we use in Ziva, what would I love right now? So simple, what would I love right now? Not what do I want? Not what do I need? Not what's going to look good on Instagram? Not what do my parents want? Not what do my partner want? What would I love right now? You ask love, it puts you into spirit. Now, puts you into present moment. And you ask that and you actually get clear on the vision before you start. So you have like a little slice of life, a little snapshot. And, and it's nice to have a snapshot that sort of is indicative of multiple dreams coming true. Like you're in the house with the person mm -hmm. talking about the thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you're like toasting the clothes of the deal with your partner in your dream home, right? Because that's all <laughs> anyone wants is money, partner, and home, right? Um, so, um, so it's one snapshot that gives you that slice of life. And then you're, you're basically creating and cultivating pleasure and you start to move this energy up from the base, from the root chakra, all the way up to the crown chakra. And at the moment of peak pleasure, then you would send that energy and that bliss. It's like you imagine sending it to the vision, to mm. the thing that you're creating, to the manifestation, which is really not that dissimilar from meditation. Because mm -hmm. like in orgasm, you're moving beyond yourself. You're no longer Emily Fletcher, you know, sitting in a chair or in a space. You just are. 
right? And same in meditation, you're actually practicing dying. You're mm-hmm. moving beyond the left brain and into the right. You're connecting the piece of you that is connected to everyone and everything. And so there are some similarities to it. It's just that sex magic is more focused and more concentrated. Mm-hmm. Seems like Joe Dispenza too, where it's like brain heart coherence. Yes. Where you're sort of like imagining, you know, you're getting to know the future self in the quantum field and then sort of like connecting with that and sending that energy out to that. Yeah, and if you'll notice in a lot of his guided manifestations, he's bringing that energy from the root Mm -hmm. up into the third eye. And his whole deal is activating the pineal gland. And his hypothesis is that you can create DMT, which Mm -hmm. is the God chemical, like on your own as the melatonin, which we're all producing Mm -hmm. naturally anyway, Mm -hmm. but you can convert that melatonin into DMT Mm -hmm. by activating this, like an opening up all the energy Mm -hmm. centers in the body. Like a Kundalini awakening, right? Yeah. I wonder Um, if that's the first time that you do activate DMT through that way. The first time you have a Kundalini awakening? I don't know. I don't know that it's exclusive to that experience. Like it might be more subtle for for some people. I think that it is for Ziva because Ziva is more subtle for folks. It's like a slow shedding, Mm -hmm. right? And just bit by bit, day by day, Mm -hmm. meditation by meditation, you're sloughing off all these old layers of stress that's keeping you from the bliss and fulfillment and enlightenment that is already inside of you. Mm -hmm. Like the idea is that you're already perfect. You were born perfect. Everything else is stress. And so we're just shedding away those layers versus like, oh, let me, I need to do something or activate something in order to access God. Mm-hmm. Like according to the Vedas, it's like, you're all, you're already that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Just reminding yourself of that. So with Ziva, it's all about de-excitation. It's all about rest. It's all about reminding yourself of that connected, ever present everythingness mm-hmm. inside of you versus I need to like, you know, really be active in Kundalini mm-hmm. or try and squeeze or pump or muscle mm-hmm. something up. And this is not to negate those other practices. Like they're beautiful. They're just different, mm-hmm. right? And I think that as meditation is becoming so popular, it really would behoove us to become more specific with our vernacular. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because if you just say meditation, mm-hmm. that could mean Kundalini breath work. That could be a Joda Spenza guided manifestation. Mm-hmm. That could be a walking well, a walk in the woods. Mm-hmm. And that, I get a little snobby about it when I'm like, that's called walking in the woods. That's called cooking. That's mm-hmm. called exercise. Meditation is called meditation. <laughs> and how I would define meditation is when you're accessing a verifiable fourth state of consciousness that is different than waking, sleeping, or dreaming and where you are giving your body rest that is five times deeper than sleep. Mm-hmm. That's the Emily Fletcher version of, of meditation. But again, I'm a snob and a purist. Mm-hmm. Now, what I think would be very helpful is if we could all just decide on like an umbrella term Right. And then we could have the different, like, this is mindfulness. This is manifesting. This is meditation. This is breath work. This is sex practice versus everyone's like, oh, I was texting with my ex. I was doing a texting with my ex-girlfriend meditation. And you're like, that's totally, (laughs) totally. (laughs) Yeah. It feels like it's like mindfulness with something when people are. Yeah. I've never, I've never been someone that actively meditates. I feel like more and more I've been hearing about just kind of like these larger group meditations Mm -hmm. of like, wanting to shift the collective consciousness with a like a smaller group compared to the whole of the earth, but, and having like the data behind how it's shifted crime in a city or mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious what your experience has been with group meditations and the yeah. power of that and why it's beneficial. So I love it so much. I miss it so much. Like I went, I have a physical space in Soho in New York and it's beautiful. And I went there 
a few weeks ago and just walked in and just started sobbing, crying. Because it was just like, I just, for a year, I just miss it. I miss the Mm. community. I miss meditating in a group. I miss the sacredness that happens, the feeling, the community that's created. Because there's a level of intimacy that happens when you meditate in a group. It's like having sex with someone, like all your chakras open up. When you eat with someone, you have sex with someone. And when you meditate with someone. Mm. So there's a level of intimacy that can be created in those specific unioning times that is special. And... um, so there's that. So I do miss it. Uh, but I think your your question is like, could we get, you know, 13,000 people together in Barclays Center and send out some love to New York City and help heal the collective stress from the pandemic? Is that the question? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so look, this is my big dream. I was sharing on my way in here that like my dream is to like do lead meditations filled with stadiums of people and and yes, for the people who are in there, but also like live streaming to other stadiums around the world and like really wrapping the whole planet with this brain-heart coherence. Mm-hmm. And this is, it's baby, baby, baby science. So I don't want to speak out of turn. You know, there's some like, I'll call it pseudoscience from like the 70s and 80s that was happening. It was called the Maharishi effect where they would bring in meditators and they would like have a certain number of them. And then they would, you know, say that that was, causal to violent crimes rate crime rates dropping in Washington DC I I have not seen empirical thing that said that is causal and not correlated because you know you, you've probably seen the statistics charts where it's like rates of toothpaste flavors in conjunction to dungarees brands mm-hmm. like you know it's just there's a million ways you can chart that stuff so I don't want to speak out of turn but I can sit, share anecdotally and what I hope is true <laughs> And what seems to be the case based on what happens at Ziva in the groups, what happens when you get a whole stadium filled of people just singing the same song, mm-hmm. what's like the miraculous healings that are happening in these Joe Dispenza events, right? It's There's too much anecdotal proof now to suggest that nothing is happening. And so this is where I really hope that neuroscience goes. Like, I'm, like we don't need any more studies to tell us that meditation is good for us. There are literally thousands if you need another study to convince you to start meditating, you're just not looking at the literature. So let's stop doing that. Let's stop funding that research. We don't need any more of it. And let's start researching this. And as everyone's starting to do these wearables, you know, the O-ring and the Fitbit, it's like, we're not that far away from being able to check mass skin acidity. And that to me seems to be the easiest thing to, mm. to really uh, quantify stress is how acidic oh. is your skin. Wow. And if you could do that on the wearables, and, and, you know, just click a button. It's like, I approve Apple of giving me this data. We get 10,000 people in Barclays Center. We blast everyone in New York with some love and healing and just see if anything changes. And like, why not? Skin acidity, it's so interesting. Yeah, I noticed like, I don't know if it's correlated to acne, but whenever I That's literally feel the, you know, when you feel that adrenaline and you're like, yeah. I'm stressed. I literally now will feel it and be like, fuck, I'm going to get a pimple in the next two mm-hmm. days. Like I know it's that like exact. Yeah. So yeah, I'm curious if that also has and a also like your smell. Like if you're like, oh my gosh, I just had yeah. a terrible thing in the interview or oh my God, I just got to meet yes. Oprah or Glennon Doyle or whatever. Yes. And you got like nervous. And then like later on you smell. Like that's your- Oh my God, that's pH. why I smell all the time. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're meeting amazing. Yeah. nervous. We were talking to a friend too, uh, Rosie Acosta. And also she was talking about, so say for an example, you go into a, a house and it's like a haunted house, that a lot of times that you're- electromagnetic field or your body or your aura can tell that the house is haunted or that something traumatic has happened. More so that something traumatic has happened in the house because there is that skin acidity. When someone, when a traumatic event happens to someone, their skin releases that scent or that smell. And Mm. we can like subconsciously pick up on that. But 
wouldn't the skin acidity be happening in the now? And if it was haunted, that would be a past event. So like I, how would that So I guess it's over? like the skin acidity sticks, it sticks in the space. And I guess we can pick up on that happening or that scent or something. And that's what's happening in weird energetic spaces. I don't know. Well, yeah. Cool. I don't know. Could have made it up. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's something there, but yeah. I don't. I don't know enough to speak intelligently about it. Who knows? Who knows? I'm completely right. Everything I say is true. I want to talk about the Vedas because I was also thinking about, you know, with the productivity piece of in the West, how we are so lonely, we are so unhappy, but we have so much and how, you know, it's so different all over the world and how I just feel like there's so many opportunities for us here to find where for us to find and not be satisfied. So I want to talk a little bit about the difference between productivity and how we view it in the West and the East. And then I want to talk about the Vedas. Okay. So here's the here's the secret. <laughs> so I said I've dedicated my whole life to like helping people who think I'm too busy to meditate. And the way that I've done that is that I've taken some really delicious candy coating of mm-hmm. like, hey, this meditation thing is going to help you make more money and have better sex, mm-hmm. right? Of like, that's the like candy coating where you're just meeting people where they are, mm-hmm. right? You're going to get more shit done faster. You're going to make more money. You're going to look hotter. You're going to have better sex. But then here's the news. Someone said this, like, I came, I came for the productivity. I stayed for the spirituality. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I don't really care why people start meditating. I just care that they start. Because once you start, your corpusculism does get stronger. Your insula, which is the empathy center of your brain, starts to connect to the dorsal medial prefrontal cortex, which is the piece of the brain that processes information about people who we perceive as separate. So you start to see more of yourself inside of others, people who are Republican and not Democrat, black and not white, straight and gay and not straight, like people who you used to perceive as other. And so that to me is a beautiful byproduct of this practice even if you came because you wanted to get more done in a day. But also, as your priorities change, as you become more empathetic, you can you have more steam in your engine to hitch to the new mission. Mm. Mm. So it's like if you're ready to help the world, you're going to be able to do that more elegantly mm. and efficiently. Yeah, so there's more like the unity consciousness when people are meditating more often. They're able to see everyone as one rather than separate. Yeah, I just had a beautiful conversation with this uh, about this with someone this week who um, his goal is to get like a, a billion people to be conscious. And I was like, okay, well, how do you define conscious? Because like this this glass of water totally. is conscious. Yeah. Um, and he said, well, it's that they know that that there, it's unity. And I was like, okay, well, you can know that and still murder someone. You can know that and still be a, a mean person. Mm. And so it's a real question mark of like, at what point on your evolutionary scale do you stop being a dick? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's more about regularity. I think it's more about starting to do things like study the Vedas, do things like study the philosophies because meditation is a hardware upgrade, mm-hmm. right? It's defragging your brain computer. But I would recommend that once you get a new computer, you also get new software. Mm. Now, I don't really talk about that to people like who are just coming into Ziva because they're already scared that it's a doctrine or a dogma or religion and that mm. I'm going to be telling them how to live their lives. And I'm not. Even the Vedas aren't telling how to live your life. It's really just, hey, this is how nature is working. You can either get in accordance with this and be in flow, or you can be rigidly attached to how you think life should be showing up and nature could just keep bashing you against the rocks. Your choice. Mm. Um, but it's not going to be like, well, thou shalt not 
drink. Mm-hmm. Thou shalt not cheat. Thou shalt not lie. Mm-hmm. It's just, look, if you lie, you're going to feel bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just takes up a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. If you're going to drink, okay, well, there's some, there's a cost to that, but there's no shoulds or shouldn'ts. Actually, according to the Vedas, there's no such thing as good or bad. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. no such thing as right or wrong. There is only creation, maintenance, and destruction. Mm-hmm. And once you understand that nature... <laughs> is going to support people who are supporting it in its dominant theme, which is creation, that the more you're leading with creation and innovation and evolution, the more of nature's support you're going to get. And once you feel that, then it's like, why would you want to stay in maintenance? Because mm-hmm. it's the illusion of safety, but it's actually the most dangerous place there is, mm-hmm. right? The ever repeating known is the most dangerous place there is. Because if you're leading with maintenance, you're waving the flag of irrelevancy for destruction to come through and clean house. But here's the good news. Even when destruction is coming through, which it just has for a year of the whole planet, guess what's right behind it? Creation, Mm -hmm. innovation. It's a cycle. The forest fire comes through and then the new earth comes through. You know, the fires in California and then the wineries Mm -hmm. are so excited because they're like, this is going to be our our best crop next year. Mm -hmm. So as painful as destruction is, as scary as destruction can be, I really invite people to change their lens from good or bad to where am I leading with creation? Where am I leading with maintenance? And where has destruction come through to clean house? Because mm-hmm. they're, all, they're all God. They're mm-hmm. all part of the cycle. We're all going to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 100% death rate so far. Yeah. As far as I know. God. Um, <laughs> my, um, my last question is just around like you, you know, someone can look at you and your work and just be like, wow, she's she's a master. She, you know, like probably has no faults in her meditation practice, but I'm just like curious what really challenges you about either incorporating the practice or are there certain life moments that you've just been like, had to truly surrender and just like not know what the next best thing is. And I don't know if like meditation is always the thing that really supports you, but I don't know, just more of that, like very, very human experience. Cause yeah, sometimes people can shame. I've shamed myself for being like, wow, I really don't feel like this is helping me at all right now. Cause like the yeah. problem seems so much bigger yeah, and so much heavier, but yeah. thanks for asking that. So a couple of things. One, I didn't meditate for a month. Forget about it. I missed a day. I missed a week. I didn't meditate for a month after my son was born. Not once. I had a very hard postpartum. It was a lot of physical complications. It was it was awful, actually. <laughs> and um, and I was just so exhausted and I was in so much pain mm. and I felt like I was in a war zone. And I actually think I needed that adrenaline and cortisol to keep me awake and to keep me alive, actually. Because uh, I was also four months out from my book launch. So I like breastfed my way through uh, my book launch. It was my first book and it, we like made it to number seven on the Amazon list. And so anyway, it was it was an intense time. and And here I am like, coming out with this book on a bigger stage than I've ever been in. And it's called Stress Less, Accomplish More. And I'm like sobbing in my bed, feeling like shards of glass are being jammed into my nipples. And I was like, oh God. Like, you know, I was like, I felt like a, on top of that, I felt like a hypocrite, you know, because I was feeling very stressed. And I had to just finally be like, Emily, like you meditate like for these times. You've been putting deposits in the bank account for 10 years so that you can withdraw right now. Right. And so it's just remind yourself that, that there's going to be times where you fall off the wagon. There's going to be times where someone dies and the the pain of the morning is so great that you cannot sit in it. 
And I actually give people a lot of permission slips to pause if their grieving is too painful because the meditation will make the feeling non-negotiable. You can't be, you can't go through the stages of like numbness and denial if you're meditating because it's going to ring you out. And so it's like, if you need to be numb for a minute, fine, stop meditating. Um, and so there's just, it's just knowing like how to navigate that. And I think that's why it's so important to have a teacher because there's not an app that's going to be able to tell you that, right? If there's millions of users on an app, they're going to be like, hey, your your son just died. Like maybe you need to just be numb for a second to get through the funeral. Mm -hmm. And then when you feel like the pain is coming to a threshold where you can even start to process it, then we can start back on the meditation. And that usually takes some guidance. Um, and as far as like, oh, I feel like the meditation is not working or it's not a good enough tool or I've never had that. Like, I'm, I mean, I'm, I really am, you know, smoking my own drugs here. Like I, I, I cannot imagine not meditating yeah. and it's never failed me. However, I realized, I guess like maybe three years ago that I, I'm a liar. I have just a lot. I've been lying, 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 lying. And, and not like intentionally, not like as we would sort of subscribe a lie, but like lying to myself in denial, people pleasing, telling other people what I thought they wanted to hear, being so afraid of conflict that I would massage the truth in a way that wouldn't hurt someone's feelings. And, and I've just really been waking up to like the sickness that I had. And, and I'm just like, I'm like, oh, that's called codependence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, mm -hmm. finally dealing with that. And, and that I felt a little bit maybe embarrassed or just sort of like, how have I been meditating for 10 years and I wasn't able to see that? Like, why didn't it fix mm. that too? Like, why why didn't it make me perfect? Or like all those dumb stories where it's like, oh, guess what? You're still human, even if you have a relaxation tool. Yeah. And I think that like to let yourself off the hook and know the meditation actually makes you more human and allows you to feel more versus it's turning you into some like numb monk especially if it's not a monastic practice. It's made for people with busy minds and busy lives. It's designed to be incorporated into life. And life is the whole spectrum. It is the anticipation and the disappointment and the joy and the devastation. It's all the colors. And what I have found paradoxically is that when you start to really build that background of bliss by tapping into it every day, twice a day, it frees you up to experience the entire spectrum of emotions. And, and it, because you're less afraid of the darker ones. So you don't protect yourself from the lighter ones. Yeah, I really love that. And it's interesting too, like in the, like with, you know, where you said you're lying, it's like when you step into that new way of being, it's like, because it, that's another level of your life and existence is that new way of being where you're like, oh, I will no longer lie to myself or others. And that is like, no going back. Yeah, that's an identity. <laughs> I shift. mean, I wish I could say I'm there yet. I'm, not, I'm not there yet. Oh my God. I'm so much better. Same. But it is. It's. I mean, it changes everything. Because those lies are expensive. Uh -huh. They're expensive energetically. They're expensive time-wise. And then people don't trust you. Mm -hmm. You don't trust yourself. Mm -hmm. Right? And so it, it takes some cleaning up. Mm -hmm. And I work with um, Lauren Zander from Hendel Group. She's mm -hmm. my coach and she's brutal. She's brutal. And like going through her methodology, you have to write down like every lie you've ever told. You have yeah. to clean it up. How it's kind of like, like, like an AA thing. Mm. Seems like kind of, because it's like, AA, mm. you apologize. Like you yeah, make, make, make right with, make amends. Last thing for me is talking about spirituality and God as it relates to meditation and sort of how it helps bring you closer to those beautiful, like magical, mystical experiences. So my definition of God is the collective consciousness of all that is. 
the collective consciousness of all that is. So all three of us and this water bottle and these microphones and these headsets and Jupiter and Mars and cars and dogs and plants and all of it. It's all God. And one of the most beautiful concepts in the Vedas is that there's only one thing and we're all it. And that one thing is consciousness. Right? That one thing is love or God or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, I grew up Southern Baptist. And so it took me a long time to sort of reclaim the G word. It took me a long time to really feel comfortable with it and to have my own intimate relationship with this everythingness. And once you start to have that and you start to realize that, oh, manifesting is really about, oh, the better I feel, the more I call in, then it becomes easier and even enticing to see the divinity inside of everyone and everything, including yourself. And so it's like, oh, this sip of water. I mean, water is one of the most intelligent substances on the planet. Like what a gift we get to drink it. And we're 70% water in our bodies. Oh my gosh, look at this flower. Look at the way that it's unfolding. And as I put my attention on it, it seems to get more and more beautiful. As I put my attention on the sunset, it seems to be dancing and performing for me. And you start to realize that nature pays attention to those who are awake. And so the more we wake up, the more attention we have to put on things, the more attention we have to put on things, the more of a show we get back and it becomes this beautiful upward spiral. And then dream case is that the whole 24 hours a day is a spiritual experience. You know, that, that taking ecstasy would be a drag that taking LSD wouldn't transport you anywhere, that you're such a connoisseur of sobriety that, you know, why alter perfection? Mm. And by perfection, I don't mean no problems. I mean, celebrating mm. the everythingness of everything. Mm. I love that. Connoisseur of sobriety. Yeah, yeah that's, that's beautiful. If I was sober, I would make that my next book title. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, honestly, <laughs> be sober for the tour. And then the next book is like how you did the... Um, retoxification. Retoxification. <laughs> I would love to tell everyone about Ziva. I mean, that's incredible. I would love to see little peanuts meditating. I mean, I will show you some photos after this. It is the cutest thing. My son is two and a half. And to watch my baby watching my other baby and like killing himself laughing is one of the greatest joys of my entire life. Yeah, so I've been working on this for two years and it came from like all my adult students, they would go through Ziva online and be like, this is changing my life. It's so good. Could you teach kids? Can I teach my kids? I want to share this with my kids. And especially now with homeschooling, it's like people like people are going out of their minds. They can't do their own practice because mm. their kids are jumping off the walls. And so thankfully we started working on this way before COVID. But I, I called my one student and he was a puppeteer at Sesame Street. And he was like, I'd love to be the, the puppeteer. I was like, great. He put me in touch with a puppet builder from Sesame Street and then a writer from Sesame Street. And then we got in touch with this mindful youth educator from Harvard. And then we got Dr. Shafali on board, who's Oprah's parenting oh, wow. expert. And so we really got this dream team of folks because I know I'm amazing at teaching adults to meditate. I know that teaching kids is a whole nother ball of wax. So I was like, I don't have to be the best at this. I'll go get the best. And we, I mean, every word of every sentence of every line of this thing has been vetted by child psychologists and doctors. And it's really good. It's really, really oh. good. I'm so proud oh. of it. And I'm proud of the fact that they're going to have these tools of meditation to take with them. But I'm even more proud of the fact that these kids are learning how to feel their feelings. Mm -hmm. Because especially right now when we've gone through this collective trauma and schools aren't teaching it, parents usually have not been equipped to talk about it. And so it's like, we owe this to our children. We've put a lot on them. They've sacrificed a lot for us, for adults they're not the ones that are being so impacted by this virus. It's older folks. And so they've sacrificed their happiness, their school, their socializing, their budding sexuality, their, you know, their energy, their sports for us. 
And so I think that we have a responsibility to be like, hey, let me help you process this pain, Mm -hmm. adapt to this new world. And oh yeah, take these tools with you for life. Now, I know I just talked about the pain piece, but something that's really important to me when parents talk to this, talk to their children about this, is that they're not like, oh, you're broken, do this to fix it. Mm. They're not broken. Our kids are perfect, right? It's it's them trying to conform to our models Mm -hmm. that makes it so tricky. So anyway, we framed it for kids just like we do for adults in that whatever you love doing, Ziva is going to help you do it better. You love Mm. soccer, great. Ziva Kids is going to help you be better at soccer. You're into debate, guess what? The better your brain is working, the better you're going to be able to debate versus like you have anxiety and you need to fix it. You have Mm -hmm. to sit down and meditate at 6 a.m. That's not the point, right? You can be disciplined about your practice. All you have to do for kids is let them know that there's a way in. They're already in a, a mild hypnotic state. Before eight years old, their prefrontal cortex is not fully formed and they're in this theta state. So they're in mild hypnosis already. So it's much easier for them to access it and to sort of curate and cultivate those tools and to take it with them for life. Not to get, I'm potty training my son right now. And there's like a magical window of time where it's really easy to potty train. And if you miss it, it becomes infinitely harder. Mm. And I think it's the same with kids. I think there's a magical window of time where if you teach them to meditate, they can take that right brain sense of wonder and presence with them for the rest of their Mm -hmm. life. And that is much easier than teaching a 60-year-old woman who has dealt with decades of repression and trauma. Mm. How, what's that age range? What's that window? Well, I'm, again, I'm, we're, you know, we're two weeks in, so I'm figuring Mm -hmm. it out, but it seems to be somewhere between that four and eight is like real sweet spot. And then there's like another different kind of window where it's more like I'm doing it because my friends are doing it, Mm -hmm. but I'm still, I'm still malleable, right? Mm -hmm. I'm still, my brain is still really, really um, almost some people are saying that the brain is so uh, plastic that it's almost like a vapor. Mm. Like it's, it's not actually solid. Wow. That it's, it, that's how changing and mutable it is. We think that it's solid because it's so dense, but it's actually very, very mutable. Wow. So um, I think it, dream case scenario, we're getting them before 13. Mm-hmm. Wow. My God, if I was a teenager and I meditated, I know. wow. Can you imagine like how many God. mistakes, yeah. how many, like how, where would you be uh, in your life by now? My household would have been. Wow. Yeah. Dude, this has been unbelievable. Yeah, Thank you my so gosh. much for being here. My gosh. Um, my where can people find you and get involved yeah. with Ziva? So I would say the best place to go is zivameditation.com slash preview. And at preview, I can gift everyone um, the first three days of the adult course because I'm assuming most of your folks are adults and mm-hmm. not parents. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, um, but if they are parents, you know, they can check it out too, but zivameditation.com slash preview. And then they'll get days one through three of like our most popular adult course. And that's teaching the mindfulness, the meditation and the manifesting. And then once they love it, if they have kids down the road, they can, mm. you know, get oh, their yeah. kids we on board later. Yeah. Of amazing mamas. Okay, so great. I love that they'll love yeah. this But you too. can find everything just at zivameditation.com. And we're all over social at zivameditation. Amazing. Beautiful. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much. Gosh, what a joy. Yay. We'll see you guys soon. Bye. Bye. Bye, friends. Thank you so much, Emily Fletcher. Her company is Ziva Meditation and they have meditation programs for adults and also children. Oh, sweet. So sweet. Thank you, Emily. Appreciate you. And we just want to thank our sponsors for the episode. As always, just bringing you brands that we love and use ourselves. And it just helps us to create this free content for you. So thank you today to She's Birdie, Monday.com, BetterHelp, and 
Dipsy. You can find all discount information in our show notes and on almost30.com. And finally, we have our new Podcast Pro ebook out, which we're so excited. This is newly redesigned, um, newly edited and added to, and it's just, it's the most popular thing in yes, the Podcast Pro shop. 100%. So it's I'm going to give you basically everything you need as like a guide to launch, grow, and monetize. We have our Podcast Pro program, which is video content. It has behind the scenes things. It has a bunch of downloadables. It's really the full suite, but this is a great starter for folks. So if you want to do this, if you're someone you can do something on your own very well by following directions, we've put a lot of work and time into this. It's 72 pages of really in-depth information, research, like insights that Lindsay and I have garnered mm-hmm. over the years and it's super powerful. So if you're interested to start a podcast, highly recommend starting with the ebook. Yeah, you can go to almost30.com, click on shop and you will find Podcast Pro. Thank you all for listening. As always, we love you so much. Subscribe so we are in your inbox every Tuesday and Thursday with new shows and make sure you follow us on Instagram, almost30podcast. We love you. Bye. Bye.